Today's podcast is about happiness, and the person who joins us today has been studying and teaching people about that subject and the science behind happiness for many years. Arthur C. Brooks is a professor at Harvard Business School, where he created his own classes on leadership, social entrepreneurship, and being happy. How amazing is that? He also has a very popular column in The Atlantic where he writes about how to build a life around happiness. Arthur is a best-selling author of several happy books, including the New York Times list for Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life, and now the number one best-selling book called Build the Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier with someone named Oprah. So obviously, if Arthur is getting the attention of Oprah, you know he's doing something right. I've wanted to interview him for a while now, and I'm a big believer in cultivating happiness all around us. Arthur is someone that spreads happy sunshine around the world, including visiting companies, community organizations, and public agencies. I really enjoyed our time together, and it really made me think about how I want to continue to pave the way for more happiness for my future. I think you will, too. Here's my conversation with Arthur Brooks on the Janice Dean podcast. Arthur Brooks, you made the dean's list. (laughs) I love being on the dean's list. As an academic, that means so much to me. Well, yeah, tell me about that, because you kind of started off in the educational world, right? Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, I actually grew up in in a higher ed family. My father was a a college professor, and so was my grandfather, but I was a college dropout. A college dropout? Yeah, yeah. No, well, dropped out, kicked out, splitting hairs. Wow. Yeah, well, 19, tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, at 19, I left college because it turns out you're not supposed to drop all of your required classes <laughs> and and take nothing but it, North Indian classical drumming or you know whatever I was doing. And yes. so I left college and I, I became a professional musician, which was my dream. Okay. And, and then all the way through my 20s, I was a professional classical musician, a lot of it in the Barcelona Symphony. My parents called it my gap decade. <laughs> But you were doing something, you know, impressive with yeah. your time off. I mean, it, it wasn't was just, you know, it wasn't just, I'm just going to take some time off and go to California. Yeah, no, 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 no. I was not beach. like, you know, no, no, on the contrary. It was something I had done since I was a little kid. All okay. I really wanted to be was a classical French horn player. And so I was in the wow. Barcelona Symphony and I, I played on tour for a long time. And, and then I went back to college in my late 20s by correspondence. Got my correspondence bachelor's degree a month before my thirtieth birthday, and then 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 I started my my in in real life my education. I went and got my PhD. Okay. And I became a college professor. All right. And how did you did you love it? Did you hate it? Were being you a like, musician? No, no being becoming, a professor. Oh, it's great. It's it's really a, it's really a great life. Part of the reason is because it's just if you study something that you're interested in, mm-hmm. you get to learn things every day, and it's intensely pleasurable to learn things. So we're actually evolved to to get pleasure from interesting things. Okay. Humans are made to learn. So there's only really two positive basic emotions. There's a lot of good things that you can feel, but the two basic positive emotions are joy that you get when you accomplish something mm-hmm. or when you see somebody that you love. For example, that joy, that burst of joy and interest. And interest is, you know, you, you learn something new and it gives you this incredibly positive feeling because evolution wants you to go learn things so mm. that you can progress and progress and you can prosper, et cetera. 
there's lots of negative emotions, okay. you know, sadness and anger and fear and, and disgust and all that. But those are the two big positive ones. And so the result is if you're studying something, which everybody should do, they sh if they're in college, they should focus on something they find intensely interesting. Okay. Life will be happier. I feel that, I mean, I took broadcast, uh, you know, TV, radio broadcasting, and that opened up my whole life because yeah. I loved it so much. Yeah. I was I in I was in journalism and I didn't like it a lot because um, I was taking these courses that didn't make me happy that didn't right. give me joy and when I was taking something that I knew I wanted to do it was just it was exciting to be there now right. I ask you about the being a professor because my husband um, you know studied history uh, in college and university as we say in Canada yeah. and he it's like actually grade 17 or some weird thing uh, right, you know, right. It's like grade 9 grade 10 grade 11 uh -huh. uh, and he for a short period of time was a teacher and did not enjoy it and right. he is somebody that loves history loves talking about history right. but he just didn't find joy in the classroom yeah no you you're, not everybody's vocationally suited to it it's also the truth that most people before they're about 45 years old find teaching to be a struggle hmm. and so you can be vocationally oriented toward teaching and like it when you're younger and if you stick with it by the time you're 50 and 60 you're going to be great, great you're going to be like world-class teacher because uh -huh. if you're already liking it and good at it when you're young but a lot of young people they find that that teaching is really not their thing mm -hmm. and so a lot of people start off in in education elementary or high school teaching and leave within the first few years and go that's to exactly else. what he did and then he became a fireman yeah so. that's great does he love being a fireman well, that's a longer discussion. That's a hard job. It, he's about to retire. He's gone through some really tough things, but I don't think he would change it. It was something that was in his, his dad was a firefighter. He comes from a family of service um, and he was just destined to probably be a firefighter. Now, when he's about to retire and he's got serious injuries and he also has 9-11 uh, related illnesses, you know, he he looks back and says... Should I have done this? But I think he wouldn't have changed it. Right, but it's time. Yeah. It's time. You know, it's it interesting is. because a lot of people, they'll grow up in, in families where everybody is highly educated and, and they don't, they, they see the world shut off to them from the trades, hmm. from, you know, the kind of the kinetic work, the work that you work with your hands and work with your body. And then there are people that grow up in, in families where everybody works in the trades and they don't know that they could learn something in college and find that really interesting. And so yes. I recommend that everybody try a bunch of different things, especially when I they're agree. young. I agree. I have, yeah, I have one son who went to Princeton and now is a math teacher. Hmm. I have one son who's a sniper. Wow. And so he came out of high school and worked on a farm and then joined the Marine Corps. Hmm. And and part of the whole thing was that we my and my daughter is still in college, changing majors and finally found her thing, which is psychology neuroscience. Yeah. And so everybody's different. And we encouraged our children to explore a lot of different things when they were young, mm -hmm. mostly because your, your passion is going to be where you find the most interest because of these neurophysiological phenomena around your basic emotions. Mm -hmm. This is what it comes down to. And people will be like, I don't know why, but I mean, my son is super interested in firearms and, and you know, what it means to be, he's a scout sniper in the Marine Corps. That's a very interesting profession for him. And if he'd gone to college and studied marketing or something, it, it, it would just be dying inside. <laughs> Not that that isn't for somebody no, else. No, for sure. There's lots of people who think that's great. And if you put them in, you know, behind the scope of a rifle to just sit there looking at a target for three hours to see if something moves... <laughs> which is what the snipers do. They say, this is the most boring thing ever. But the point is you got to try a lot of mm -hmm. stuff. And that's one of the things, one of the happiness principles I give to my students. I know, and I want to talk about that. But, you know, 
we're in our 50s now, and my husband is about to retire from this profession yeah. he's been in for 27 years. What advice do you offer him? The second part of our life, the thing right. I like about your last book right. was that there is a new beginning right. in your 50s, that, right. that there is hope on the horizon for maybe even better things. Oh, for sure. If you actually do it right, this is called the second curve phenomenon. Okay. And it's all based on, on the work of psychologists that talk about two intelligences. So we often think of IQ and you're good at this, and you're good at that. No, no, no. There's really two intelligence curves. The first is called fluid intelligence. That's when you're really good at solving problems. You're you have a lot of focus, a lot of energy, a lot of working memory. Mm -hmm. So everybody's listening to us is good at something. What makes you good at what you do in your 20s and 30s is your fluid intelligence. Okay. However, that tends to decline in your 40s and 50s. That's why people burn out from jobs. It's like I used to like marketing. I used to like this marketing job, but I, I don't know why. But it's just boring to me. And the reason is because you're not making progress anymore because mm. your fluid intelligence is declining. You're not getting dumb. You're not getting incompetent. You're just not making progress anymore. Okay. In the second half of your life, effectively, after 40 and 45, that's when you have crystallized intelligence. That's okay. a different curve. That's not based on working memory. God knows, because you know you can't, you can't remember phone numbers or people's <laughs> names as well as you did before. But it's based on pattern recognition about wisdom, all the knowledge that you have and your ability to teach it to other people. Mm -hmm. That second curve really favors mentoring. It really favors a running a team. It favors management where you have a lot of people that you're trying to teach. It favors teaching itself. So here's what I recommend to your husband. Okay. Try teaching again. Yes. But not teaching in the classroom to a bunch of third graders necessarily. Mm -hmm. The stuff that he knows really, really well. Mm -hmm. Actually, who knows? Maybe he should be at the fire academy. Well, we've talked about that. You know, we've talked about him going back into the profession of, you know, uh, he he went and got his master's in counterterrorism. And right. it's something that he really knows a lot about. Right. And could teach that, you know, to, you know, people in his profession. I think right. he'd be excellent at it. That's a good idea because – and the thing is he'll say, yeah, but I tried teaching when I was 20 – three and I didn't like it. Try it again. Yeah. The most amazing thing might be for him is I tried teaching early on and I didn't like it. I didn't feel really good at it. I didn't feel passionate, passionate mm -hmm. about it. And then I did another career and at 55 I retired and I became a teacher. And it's like, I had no idea. Yeah. I all have, you know, people who come into my university, young professors right out of graduate school. And they'll say, what? Cause I'm, I used to be a young guy. Now I'm the old guy. And they say, what, you know, what's the secret to get great teaching evaluations? And the answer is get old. <laughs> <laughs> Because older people are just better teachers. Yes. I feel that now. I've been doing the same job for 20 years, um, you know, meteorology, also doing other things. Love this podcast. It's my favorite thing to do is talk to people. But it it really, when I talk about a storm, for instance, the one that we're following right now, Hurricane Lee, I go back and I've got all of this knowledge of this these other storms that I've covered in the past. Mm. And that to me is like, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, that's the pattern recognition. You say, this one looks like that, that one yep. looks like this, and I'm going to be able to make a prediction on the basis of all this information yes. that I've got in my head. I can make metaphors that people actually wouldn't be able to make if mm -hmm. they had never done this. And and that's critically important to teaching, to having kind of a vivid way of describing things. Mm -hmm. And that's what we all should be doing. You yeah. know, it's like it, you start off by being sort of the ninja, the cowboy, good mm -hmm. at what you do on your own. Later yes. on, you get really good at bringing up the next generation of talent because you're able to get ideas across. 
this yeah. that people can understand. Well, I love it too, because I will say 15 years ago, I thought there was a ceiling on what I could do in the business that yeah. I'm in. And it was based on looks and age. But that's really? changing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the way it was up yeah, until probably 10, 15 years ago. And now it's like, no, bring it on. Yeah, I, yeah. I still feel like I am viable and that I have something to offer. Of course. Of course. You know, and by the way, this podcast is a good example of that. The reason for that is because a podcast is a long form conversation where mm-hmm. you can get into things in depth. Yes. And that favors crystallized intelligence. Hmm. This is something that if you want to, you'll be getting better and better at in 10 to 15 years. Yes. No, I love it. This is this is the future, which I, which I enjoy. And I think it's important because I think we need to connect with each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, the phone is fine for texting. You know, I'm texting my husband before I get in here. Okay, what are we going to do about the dog? Dog isn't feeling well. But to be able to sit down and have a conversation with somebody, it almost feels like a lost art sometimes. Yeah, yeah. For, well, for sure. I mean, we've fragmented our attention in a terrible way. That's actually a big problem for our happiness. And mm. you know, I write about that an awful lot. I have a column every Thursday morning in the Atlantic called How to Build a Life. And probably once every two or three months, I write about devices and attention. And one of the greatest impediments to people's happiness today is they, they're fragmented away from focusing on other people focusing on real ideas. And, and the result of it is that their, their, their brains work differently. You know, what you'll find is, you know, somebody's having a conversation, a very interesting conversation, but then something in their brain, actually, we know what it is. It's a dopamine signal. Mm. will give you the anticipation of a little electronic reward and it'll make you truncate your conversation and pick up your phone. Yeah. That's it. You know, that's, that's addiction. That's well, I had a, to hide our, my phone. Works. You saw uh, when we came in here, I put it so yeah. that I can't see it yeah. because I don't want to be distracted. An alert by that. will go up and it'll make yeah. you think about something else. And we're constantly being distracted from it. You'll find people, they can't walk. They can't wait for a light without, you know, looking at the phone. They can't be, they can't be alone with their feelings. This is horrible for your happiness. It really yeah. is bad for your relationships. It's bad for your concentration. It's bad for your brain chemistry. There's a lot of bad things that are going on. So one of the things that I recommend is that people go on a social media and device fast mm-hmm. regularly. I mean, as a matter of fact, you shouldn't look at social media for more than 30 minutes a day across all platforms together. Oh, wow. Tell that to our kids. Totally. But, you know, my kids do it. And it's been really, really good. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. How did you do that? Well, part of it is that they went to schools that had extremely good values, no devices. We that we should have in this country a no device policy I at school. I agree. We got to get it's like you put I your agree. you put your phone in the locker. You yes. put your phone in the locker at the front desk when you first get to school, and you get it when you leave. This would be so much better for the brain development. How do of kids. we do that? I feel like this is a mission. Well, this- parents who are listening to us, and I know they are, go to your school board and say, "I heard a scientist from Harvard talking on Janice Dean's podcast." <laughs> That is bad for my son's brain. Yes. That he's looking at his phone and everybody's looking at their phones in class. And I think that they're not going to like it, but they're going to learn a lot more and be, grow up to be happier, better adjusted people if we have a no device policy. You know, one of my sons, I won't tell you who because, you know, we're trying to. You know, How old keep, are they? He's 14. All right. And he's been very sort of uh, forgetful of things. And just a few nights ago, I said, give me your phone. I want to see how long you've been on it. And I looked, you know, that's the thing. He has a phone, but we're able to look at it at any time. That's the rule. And I looked at it, and he was on social media for three hours yeah. while he was, and He know, didn't know. He, of he course, didn't. he didn't know because it adds up. But then I thought to myself, I think you're distracted by this phone, and that's why you're forgetful, and that's why you misplaced mm-hmm. your lunch 
box, and that's why you forgot your shoes in the hallway. I think we're going to take a break. We're going to take it away from you. He hasn't had his phone all week. Yeah. How does he feel about it? I mean, he hasn't is he said resent, much. Is he resenting you for it? No, because we've been through this before where right. we've had to take it away. Yeah. But I do. I want it away during the whole uh, yeah, yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. You can really help kids a lot by by you know putting them on a social media and device fast. And so the result is that you know my kids have their phones, um, and they use their phones. But they're my. I don't think my certainly my twenty year old daughter, my twenty three year old son. They they're not on social media. Hmm. They don't have a social media presence. My twenty five year old uses Facebook to connect Facebook, which is like the old people's right. social media to connect with his friends. Yes, he uses it for in real life relationships, and that's the way we should be doing it. So I the agree. way to do that for everybody listening to us is like, yeah, give me some practical advice, <laughs> professor. It's a uh, to, to to make sure that you have a certain period of time where you look at your social media within boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's number one. So eight to eight to eight twenty in the morning or something like that. When you look at it, when you look at everything, 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 everything. Yes. And if you want 15 minutes in the afternoon when you're done, but only in those windows, that's number one. Number two, put your phone in black and white. And part of the reason is because you'll get less dopamine in your brain. Mm. I mean, you know, one of the reasons that when you're in Las Vegas and the, the slot machines are going, nin, 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 yeah. nin, even when you're not touching them, yes. is because they're calling you with sounds and and the sounds and the colors are stimulating the dopamine in your brain for an anticipation of reward. This is a primordial thing. It's an ancient thing in the brain. So turn your phone, make it less interesting. And a, a way to change your brain chemistry is by changing it to black and white. Hmm. That's the second thing that, that to do. And the third thing to do is take off the apps. Take the apps, the social media apps. If you want to look at you know, one of these, look on the on a browser. Okay. And it's amazing how much less you're going to want to do it as a result of getting rid of the convenience and getting rid of the attraction, yes. and limiting it to a certain 15 minute period. You'll use it in a different way. And at first, you know, you'll be, you'll have screaming children inside your head for the first couple of days because, mm-hmm. you know, this is addiction. You'll yes. have the monkey on your back, Yeah. but it will ease up and you're going to find you've got way more time. It's like, Wow. Back in the old days when people used to smoke, did you smoke when you were young? Yes, I did. Me too. Uh-huh. Uh, me too. I, I miss it. You know what I miss <laughs> the most? I miss the social part of the yeah, smoking. No. Going out in the, you know, the. Yeah. I, I was in high school too, so I yeah. smoked in I high school. I just miss the nicotine. Oh, you miss the I just, nicotine? I just miss the, how, you know, drawing dopamine into the prefrontal cortex of my brain, <laughs> giving me an intense sense well, of Well, maybe wellness. that too, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, I just yeah. remember going, especially in bars too, you go out and have a smoke break yeah. and you would talk to your girlfriends, you'd meet a guy, you know? Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. the part that And I, what happens is when you're really addicted to cigarettes, if you're smoking a pack a day and you stop smoking, the first thing that you notice, I don't know if you noticed this when you quit smoking, um, but I smoked a lot. You know, I smoked a whole pack of cigarettes a day. I just had tons of time. Yes. I just had lots of time on my hands, you yes. know, because it's taking, you know, smoking. It's a smoke break. And yes. you know, I, I, I get it. And so then I would like, I was at loose ends. I'd be done eating dinner and I'd be like, okay, no, now what do we do? What yeah. do we do? We have a cigarette is what we do. But yeah. now I, and, and so that's what happens with exactly. I mean, most young people today, only 11% of Americans smoke at this mm. point. And so, is this the addiction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the addiction to the social media, and it's intensely time-consuming. It's 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 mentally fragmenting and time-consuming. It's just 
by the way, there's a million other reasons not to use too much social media. It's making us truly miserable. I believe it. And we know that because what it's doing is it's substituting for in-person relationships. Yes. You've got that extra time, you've got extra attention yeah. devoted to people around you. Mm-hmm. The eye contact and touch within real life relationships gives you a, a neuropeptide, a, a hormone in the brain called oxytocin, which is intensely pleasurable. The reason that this is a good podcast is because we're sitting across from each other in the same room and we get oxytocin that comes from human contact. You don't get it when you're on social media, but you crave it, so you binge the social media. It's like if you're super hungry and all you get your Junk. calories from is is chips and candy and and you know sugar beverages, what it'll do is it'll fill you up temporarily, but you'll be hungry again immediately because you didn't get the nutrients. Wow. And then you'll binge it, you'll gain weight, but you'll become malnourished. That's mm-hmm. what basically what social media is doing to people is that they're they're binging it. They're becoming they're becoming sort of the equivalent of obese and they're malnourished simultaneously, socially. It's scary for our kids. Yeah. I mean, but we also have to set an example. I mean, I just read an article today that um, adults are on social media more than their kids. A lot. Yeah, a lot. And and that's actually a weird thing about technology. So if you you go back to the 1950s, there were all of these stories – um, you know, from scientists and, you know, the, the, the government scolds and everybody else is like, careful with the phone, careful with the phone. The <laughs> phone is going to, the phone is going to ruin our society. Yeah. There were, it's like at, at some point people are going to be going to church on the phone, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's, it's impo- just that, and, and people did abuse the phone. I mean, on the phone all day, all day, all day, all day. If you told your kids that, they'd be like, why? You know, it's like, and you can even tell them I've got this incredible technology where you can, if you just, you you, you hit seven numbers and then you connect to a person in real time. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're there talking to you in real time. They'd be like, what is that technology? That's the phone, man. <laughs> that was invented in 1896. <laughs> but, and this is what, this is interesting because what happened was that, that people moved beyond that particular technology and young people today, if they're not already, many are like my kids, but people are going to move beyond how we abusively use social media. The people who are struggling the most are in their late 20s and 30s today. These mm. are the people who struggle the most with social media. Right, and they're not getting out and meeting people. Yeah, and they've just never learned how. They're stunted. Oh. They're stunted in their development. So this is this is a mission. We have it to, is. It I, is. I will. I would I actually have a meeting with my son's principal to talk about air conditioning in his yeah. school, but I am going to bring up yeah, no the devices. fact that we should just not have devices in school. We have to do school. that. And you know, look, I, it's, it, my, my kids went to Catholic prep schools, and so it was much easier for us to make this case. Mm-hmm. The public schools is where the vast majority of kids go to school, and the public schools should be on this, just yeah. on this, because this is, look, if, if we don't get this right, these people are not going to grow up in a stable, healthy way. You know, we, we see people in their 20s and 30s today that can't form normal relationships, friendships yes. and romantic partnerships. Yes. People in their 20s today are half as likely to be married or to cohabitate or even to have intimate relationships than we did in the 1980s. And at first you're like, yay, less immorality. Wait, it's because they're lonely yeah. and they don't know how to meet. They don't know how to connect. Yes. And, and the result is they're going to be they're going to be less happy as people. And that thing in their hand, that computer in their hand in their pocket is a big part of the reason. Is it correctable? That's a good question. And we don't actually know the answer to that because the problem is too new. We know, I mean, that the dopamine problem is correctable. There's a really good uh, body of research by a researcher at Stanford University named Anna Lemke. She wrote a very important book called Dopamine Nation. 
that talks about how to how to de-addict yourself from the most addictive behaviors and that and 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 substances. You know, we all know about methamphetamine and cocaine and alcohol mm -hmm. abuse or cigarettes for that matter, which is all they're all stimulate dopamine. But the really, really dangerous addictions that we have, especially for young people, are things like pornography. Pornography is unbelievably terrible for you. It will torque your relationships, it'll make it impossible for you to relate normally to a person with whom you'd have a romantic partnership, and it will take over your life and it's getting younger and younger and younger. So she has protocols in there because almost everybody in their 20s, young men in particular, they say, I don't want to look at it, but I don't know how to stop. She tells them how in this book. I've had, and then what she finds is it doesn't take that long before your relationships can return to normal and your life can get happier. Okay, that's, that's optimistic. For sure. Um, I love that you think that we can forge new relationships even in our 50s and 60s. Yeah. I kind of thought that that wasn't happening. Yeah, well, it's, it becomes harder because we lose the, we lose the chops. So most there's there's kind of two sorts of friendships. I talk about this in my new book with Oprah. Okay. The, the two. I know of, we're getting there. We're, we're saving the, the, the best book, for right? last. Yeah, I, I don't. We didn't mention that. <laughs> we're burying the lead here, Janice. So um, <laughs> there's two kinds of friendships. There's real friendships and deal friendships. Okay. By the time you're in your 50s, if you're really, really hardworking and you've got a family, yes. then you don't have that many real friendships typically because, mm -hmm. you know, you're hanging out with your real friends, you're stealing from your family. Mm. It's especially true for guys. Okay, Women are better at real friendships than men are. And part of the reason is because in, in families where women are doing the bigger part of the kid taking care of business, yes. then your your real friends become the parents of your kids' friends. Yes. And there's a lot of that going yes. on. But guys, you know, especially if they commute and, you know, they're working away from home, they're not going to go out for drinks with their friends. They come home. And so the result is that the decades pass and they, they don't know how to make friends anymore. And so they're, you know, they retire and their wives have to like, you know, take them someplace and say, why don't you talk to little Johnny over there? He might be your real friend. And, you know, your husband, 60 years old is going, I'm afraid. I don't know how to do it. You know, but that's, that's real. That's real actually, wow. as it turns out, but you have to do the work and you can relearn those skills as it turns out. Here's an interesting stat. 60% of 60 year old men, their best friend is their wife. Aww. 30% of their wives, their best friend is their husband. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get that. Yeah, totally, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll be back with more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. So how did you and Oprah come together? It's uh, This is a great country. You never know what's going to happen. You never yes. know what's going to happen in your life. So I've been writing and speaking and teaching about happiness for a long time. Um, and I, I, I left my, I was a CEO of a think tank for a long time, but I left that job when I was 55 um, in 2019. And I came to teach happiness, the science of happiness at Harvard, and to write about it full time. Now, how did that happen? You Did you go to the board of directors and say, I would like to teach happiness. Well, they hired me after, you know, as a, as a, I, I'm an old professor, right? And so then I left the professor life to run this company. And when I, when I retired from that, I came back to academia. So it was a normal thing. Okay. And when I got to Harvard, they said, um, what do you want to teach? And I said, I want to teach at the business school what they most need and are not getting. And they said, what? I said, the science of happiness, the neuroscience of happiness, the social science of happiness, the management and sharing of happiness, like any other skill, as if it were supply chain management. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to teach it. And they're like, huh, oh, well, do it, dude. You know? <laughs> and so and so I created the class and now it's super oversubscribed. I've got 180 students and like 400 on the waiting list because it's the science of happiness. This is not like, mm -hmm. woo, new age. No, no, no. This is like, this is how your brain works. Okay. I show them brain scans of people in love 
and I say, this is what's happening to you when you're falling in love. It looks like a methamphetamine brain. That's because this is the same thing that's happening. When do you feel out of control? How do you actually turn this into a, an, a, an ability to manage your own emotions? The same thing with work, the same thing with your career, the same thing with your friendships, the same thing. And so I, I walk through, that's why the class is really super important. And I started writing about it in the Atlantic, which is a great magazine. Mm -hmm. It's very widely read. So I have, you know, 500,000, sometimes a million people a week reading about the science of happiness. And you never know who, I mean, you don't know who's listening to the Janice Dean podcast. You know, it's like, you know, hello, President Bush. You don't know. I mean, yeah. it's somebody awesome. And mm -hmm. it turns out that Oprah Winfrey was reading my column every week. And then she read my last book, which came out in 2022 called From Strength to Strength. And she, on the first day she read it and she called me up and said, this is Oprah Winfrey. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And she, she said, this is interesting stuff. I'd like to, you know, come on my podcast to talk about the book. And, and we started collaborating. Then we had dinner together at her house and, and we started hanging out what a little bit. What was that like? It's awesome. Cause she's awesome. Oprah Winfrey's awesome. She's, I mean, she's awesome. She really is. She's the real deal. Right? It's I mean, good she, to hear because I was one of those people that would come home every day at four o'clock and watch the Oprah Winfrey show yeah. and just love that she was, she seemed authentic. Yeah. She seemed like me. She right. wasn't some supermodel on TV. Right. Um, and, you know, with that, with the experience that she had. So that, that's exciting for me because oh, yeah. you just never know. Well, I mean, you've met a lot of very famous people in your life. Not I mean, Oprah. But you've... <laughs> But, but I get it. Yes. For sure. I mean, in the business that you're in and in, you know, you've worked with lots of stars and stars are typically not what they seem like mm -hmm. because they have to maintain a public image, but they have a private life. I mean, it makes perfect sense. They're not phony, but you know, they have an image that's part of their job, but they have a private life, which means that, you know, there may be sometimes trouble in their marriage yeah. and, and you know, they have a kid who's driving them crazy. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's just life, man. Yeah. It's very rare that you meet somebody who's a very public person <clears throat> where their image is so authentic that it's the same as their private life. Wow. And that's Oprah Winfrey. That's and and by cool. the way, she's incredibly equilibrated given the fact that she's literally one of the five most famous people in the world. Yes. I mean, she can't go any place without being mobbed because people love her so much uh -huh. and they're so, they want to be near her because she's so magnetic. And, but she maintains an equanimity. She maintains a, a, a balance in her life and she's cracked the code kind of what a lot of, stars and successful people get wrong is they think that they're very successful money, power, pleasure, fame, admiration, followers, that that will give them happiness. And that's wrong. Mm. What she has figured out is that those things are assets to use in service of others. Wow. That's what she's figured out. She's got a lot of nice things. I mean, her house is beautiful and I mean, great, but that's not the point. The point is that all of these nice things and all the admiration and the adulation of strangers is used to refract to the good, to the love, to the benefit of other people. And, you know, I, I get it. Everybody's got their detractors because, you know, our society is so cynical, right? Mm -hmm. And our, everybody, no matter who you are, I mean, you can, you know, Pope Francis has his detractors. I mean, if Jesus Christ came back and walked the earth today, again, people would be like, oh yeah, that guy, he just did it for the money. You know, <laughs> it would be always, I mean, the internet is the internet. But the truth of the matter is that she truly wants the, the good of others. And mm -hmm. that's her, that's how you crack the code to happiness. Well, and she seems like somebody, she's been a student of this kind of yeah. work on herself and of, of, you know, being a human being for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Early on, it's interesting. She, her, her, I think her show, uh, the Oprah Winfrey show, which was on for 25 years, it went national in the mid 80s. And I was living in New York um, when it was, when it was going national. I remember watching it and she, 
went on the air. She's a compelling and charismatic person. And the first thing that she did is she started to whip Phil Donahue because <laughs> Phil Donahue was the show. And then Oprah yes. Winfrey just started eating his lunch. Right. <clears throat> and then she was, of course, surrounded by people in the industry to make her more audacious, mm -hmm. right? And so she had like the Ku Klux Klan on her show. And then some guy, she's told me about this. It's not like I remember this, but she's, she's talked about this. Had some guy on who was having an affair. And so she had the, the wife and the girlfriend on and he announced on the air that, that the girlfriend was pregnant. It was, and she's like, she went to her producer and said, never again, never again will I use this platform not to Good. lift people up and bring them together. And for yes. the next 25 years, she relentlessly was dedicating her show to the good of other people. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you had to agree with everything. It doesn't mm -hmm. even mean you had to like the show, but her heart was pure right. in this. And that's, in my business, which is the science of happiness, there's a thing called the Oprah Winfrey effect. Are you wow. aware of this? No. America started to get less happy when the Oprah Winfrey show went off the air. We don't know the causality. Okay. It's, we, the science is not I get there. it, though. But you know, this is something that, that, that you could count on learning something. You could yes. count on... And that's that's who she is, mm -hmm. and and that's who I'm very lucky to be working with right now. Okay, so tell me about the book. This right. is it's it's a long title here. Uh, build the life build the you life want. you want. The art and science of getting happier with Oprah Winfrey. Um, what is I mean? What's the elevator pitch of this book? The elevator pitch of this book is that most people know how to manage their finances and, you know, their business and their family life, but they don't know how to manage their own emotions. Okay. You're not going to get happier until you start to manage yourself. Mm. <clears throat> Most people are waiting for the rest of the world to change till they can get happier and looking for happy feelings. Yes. And what they don't understand is the most serious business you've got in your life is your own emotional self-management. Okay. This is an owner's manual for your emotions based on science. That's what this book is. It's amazing to me that it's based on science, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, it's science and, and it's not technical. It's, you know, you can get as technical as you want. Anybody who's really into it can read the, there's a thousand footnotes based on science. Wow. So, but nobody needs that. It's not going to be distracting. Okay. This is, this is news that people can use and, and that actually people can understand. And no, I'm a scientist. And so this is, but, but Oprah, she brings ideas to people. So it's kind of like her own show. She would have, you know, somebody on 30 times about all kinds of different subjects. That's, that's how we kind of got together. She called and said, this is really interesting. If I still had my show, I'd have you on 30 times mm. and people would really get to understand the science that you teach. Yes. So you could take Harvard to the world, uh -huh. but I don't have my show. So let's do a book together. This is what we kind of cooked up at, in her tea house at her, her house in California. As a matter of fact, it's like uh, Oprah's tea house. This is, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Are there pictures in the book? There's no pictures in the book, but there's actually pictures at Oprah Daily, which is, you know, okay. her website of, yep. of us writing the book. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Is there video? There is video. Okay. There's video. There's a lot because, you know, we've been working together pretty intensively on this project for for um better part of a year. Mm -hmm. And and it's it's great because it gave us the ability to say, look, you have more control than you think. Okay. You need to understand the science. You need to change the, your life with certain practices and then you need to share it with others. That's that. That's the routine. One, two, three. Understand, apply, and share. And here's how you do it. It's got exercises in the book. It explains what's going on. And if people read the book, and we read it, we wrote it for everybody. They are not going to feel helpless ever mm. again. Like ah, I feel so crummy. I don't know why. I don't know how to change. You're still going to feel crummy, but you're going to understand what it's for the good of those emotions, how to manage them and learn and grow from those emotions. And you're, I mean, I, I, I know this is true because I've been teaching the class for hundreds 
of people in my classes and and talking to thousands of people around the country and it worked for me. I did I healed myself. Well, with tell this. me about that real quick. I mean, I you don't have to be real quick about it. What was <laughs> a low point in your life that you had to kind of dig out of? It's so funny because I'm a social scientist and I studied happiness for decades but I never I never used it. So it, it was, was for other people. It was, it was not even for other people. It was like astronomy. You know, I, I met Neil deGrasse Tyson the other day, you know, the great yes, physicist, because um, he had a book, he has a book, you know, out now too. And we were, you know, in this, on the set of a, a TV show, or, you know, back in the green room together, and I was talking to him and, you know, he studies astronomy, but it's not so he can change the stars. Hmm. It's so that he can observe them and understand them. And that's kind of how I viewed happiness. Okay. You know, who are the happy people? You know, why are they their happier people? What do their brain scans look like? Yada, 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 yada. Until my, you know, finally, you know, I was a CEO of a company in, in between my academic gigs for a 10 year period. And I passed some pretty melancholy times. And my wife finally said, don't you have a PhD? I mean, don't you don't you study human behavior and happiness? I said, of course, you know that. She said, why don't you figure out how to use that and make a strategy for yourself? Wow. And I said, man, she's right. <laughs> and so I started, I actually did that. And this is, and it became so compelling to me when I was explaining to other people that I retired. Hmm. I didn't retire, I was 55. I stopped my CEO job. I love that job and it was an important job, but I, I thought I could do something different for humanity by writing and speaking and teaching about how to manage the the startup of your emotional life. Look, you're, you are Janice Dean Inc. I realize you work for Fox News and I realize you've done all this cool stuff, but really the endeavor is the enterprise of your life. Mm. And the currency is not money, it's love and happiness. Yes. And you gotta know how to do the PNL yeah. of Janice Deanness mm -hmm. Inc. I mean, it's super important. And, and so that's what I started doing for myself. It started to work. I learned how to teach it, I got better. I worked with students. I beta tested it. I started. I started a column, and finally, Oprah said, "We got to share this." Yes. And so that's what this book is. This is the this is the textbook for the serious business of you. Okay. Is there going to be a sequel? We don't know yet. I mean, right now it's this week. I mean, we're recording this podcast three days after the release, and it's the most popular book in America right now. What does that tell you? That tells me that people want to be happier. Yes. And, and again, the the goal is not to be happy. Because that would mean never having negative emotions or negative experiences. And you need both. Mm -hmm. You need to have a full life. And by the way, you die without negative negative emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, fear and anger and, yeah, and you know, disgust. And that's that's really part of survival. And so people have the wrong goal. Happiness is not a is not a destination, it's a direction. The oh. goal is happierness. Okay. And that's what really happierness. Happierness. Oprah made up that word, but uh, yeah, well, yeah. it'll be in the Webster dictionary next year. Yeah, that's right, because you know, you know Because <laughs> it's Oprah. So it's it's phenomenal. It's because that's exactly what it is, is happierness. And this is a book about actually how to how to actually achieve happierness by making progress all throughout our lives. And 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 people want that. And that's the reason that this book is popular. It's also because Oprah Winfrey's on the cover. I'm not no, kidding listen, myself. I think people are craving this right now. Yeah. I feel like sometimes we're at the bottom of the barrel, you know, with all of the, you know, vitriol that's out there yeah. and people are at each other. We get another presidential election and Ugh. it's just, I know it's really politics, not the secret of happiness, No, but it will scratch that little itch that people have. You know, a lot of people when they're they don't know what to do. The, you know, they'll, they'll click on the website. They'll look at social media for something that will give them a little bit of the satisfaction that, satisfaction that comes from hating your enemies. Mm. Remember, everybody listening to us, when you do that, somebody's profiting, and it's not you. 
Wow. Somebody's using you. When you yes. hate, somebody's using you. If you're a Republican and you think those Democrats, somebody's firing you up. No, I got it. I got my own political opinions. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I've always been a, a center-right, free enterprise guy, mm -hmm. pro-American military family. I mean, I believe in that stuff. I really do. But let me tell you, people who disagree with me are not my enemies. Right. And they want happiness just like I do. And they are my sisters and my brothers. And we need more love mm -hmm. and less hate. The problem is that hate burns hot. And somebody will stimulate that for you, and that will give you a tiny little bit of satisfaction. That's just like the dopamine hit that you get from the cigarette or from the social media, just checking your messages or whatever it happens to be. And you need to be free. Mm. The way to get free is to get serious about the business of working on the enterprise of your happiness. Okay, I love this. I love this book. Uh, I love what it, you know, it symbolizes. And I think more people want this so badly in their lives. Yeah, for sure. And they don't they don't know where to learn. They don't know where to turn. I didn't know you could learn, to be honest. I, I always thought, you know, I always thought people... It's a people, feeling. You hope you get it. It's like a butterfly that <laughs> but sits I do on your shoulder. Think that there are people that are born. Yeah. I've always been a pretty happy person. I've right. had, you know, some bad stuff happen in my life. But when That's you think about your emotions, let me ask you a question, okay? Yes, I didn't okay. interrupt no, you. No, no, no. no, no. I want to learn more no, about, about the serious business of Janice Dean. So um, there are four kinds of people in the world. Okay. And we have this test in the book, by the way. All so, right. Because the beginning of, of getting happier is understanding yourself. Okay. And so there's an emotional profile test at the beginning of this book that's the, based on the best science. It shows that happiness and unhappiness are not incompatible. They're mm -hmm. largely processed in different hemispheres of the brain. Okay. So unhappiness is not the absence of happiness. They're different emotions. Okay. Okay. So you can you can experience happy feelings intensely or weakly. You can you can experience unhappy emotions intensely or weakly. There's four kinds of people. Okay. They have intense positive and intense negative emotions. These are called high affect people or mad scientists. Okay. You can have people who are very intensely happy but have low intensity unhappiness. Okay. Those are cheerleaders. <laughs> you have some who have intensely negative emotions and very weakly positive emotions. Those okay. are poets. Mm. And then you have those who are who have low intensity, both negative and positive. They tend to be very unflappable, very sober. These are the judges. Wow. Which is Janice Dean? I think I'm a cheerleader. I think you're a cheerleader too. Yeah. I've, I've gotten quite good at this. What's your husband? <laughs> Oh. Is he a poet? Yeah, yeah. I think now, here, so. That's not bad news. Okay, good. That's good news. If you can love and appreciate each other. You've been married a long time? Yeah, we've known each other for um, over 20 years. Yeah. So if you can learn to appreciate what the other person brings. See, cheerleader, everybody wants to be a cheerleader because, you know, cheerleaders feel positive emotions intensely and yes. negative emotions, they keep them in perspective. But mm -hmm. what cheerleaders are bad at is seeing threats. What cheerleaders right. hate is bad news and negative people. Yes. It's like, get away from yes. me. Yes. And, the, and the, the problem with that is that you need a threat spotter in your life. A, a Otherwise, what? you're going to get a threat, threat spotter. spotter. You're going to get surprised. That's exactly what he is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But and, and, and times you're like, Negatron, get away <laughs> from me. But but you have to appreciate that. No, what he needs mm -hmm. is somebody who's going to show him the good side of life, even when he doesn't feel it so very mm -hmm. intensely. You fill in each other's gaps. These can be very successful marriages. Yes. If you recognize that your job is to bring him up and what he brings to you is reality about the world. That is, you have just diagnosed us. That's great. That's great. And that's exactly how to see it. Most people, they want to find their, they want to find their match, which they think is the person just like them. So a cheerleader wants to find mm. another cheerleader. Bad news. <laughs> 
because it, two cheerleaders together, they'll be like, no, there's no financial stress. There's no real problem. All the money will always be here and they go bankrupt because they spend all the money and they max out their credit. Yes. That's what cheerleaders do. Okay. Right. They don't, they, they get surprised all the time by bad things. Yeah. Two poets together will go into it like this morass of melancholy all the time. Like, uh, no, you're right. It does suck. You know, pass the whiskey bottle. I mean, it's just, it can be a real problem, right? Yeah. You need compliments. This is mm-hmm. a big lesson, by the way, that I teach my, my Harvard students about dating. You know, when you have a dating app, you curate your profile so you can find somebody just like you, like my music, my politics, my geographical preferences, my me, 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 me. You're just looking Mm -hmm. at a mirror. Mm -hmm. You're dating your sibling, which is my- That's not fun. That's not hot. (laughs) That's not hot either. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, you need a compliment. You yeah. don't, and, and that's, that's, we talk about the, Oprah and I talk about this a lot in the book is embracing diversity, like sometimes physically, literally embracing diversity. Yeah. You need people like you and your husband. This is really important. So learn about yourself and go look for somebody who completes you. This oh, is critical. I love this. I could talk to you all day long. I really could. I, and happiness is interesting. It, I love it. I mean, yeah, that sure. sh- should be the goal. That's why Oprah and I wrote the book, because it's not only is it useful, it's intensely interesting. People want this. And, and the best way, by the way, once you learn something to yeah. apply it to your life and keep it forever, you know what it is? Share it with others. Yes. Because you'll move the knowledge from the limbic system of your brain into the prefrontal cortex of your brain, mm-hmm. where you can store it, call it up, remember it. And use your executive centers to make sure that it's always present. So one of the things that I recommend is that you take the book and you go explain it to other people. Okay, I love We have it. teaching resources actually on the website for the book at arthurbrooks.com. Uh-huh. And you can actually you know, download ways to teach this material to other people. And the reason is because the people who are doing the teaching become permanent owners of it and they get happier. I do. I feel like there needs to be a workbook. Totally. That's right. Exactly right. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're all about. I mean, this is, this is bringing the education of the serious business of ourselves to, to, to other people and to understand ourselves better. Well, I love this. Thank you for coming to talk about your book. I hope we can do this again. I would love that, Janice. Because I feel like there's needs to be reinforcement and, um, and everyone should teach this in school too. I agree with that. Right. This is part of the movement. Look, if you want America to be better, don't try to vanquish the other side politically. Go teach happiness. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Janice. Thank you for your show. Of course. Thank you for you. Thank you, Arthur, for bringing your tour of happiness to the Janice Dean Studios. You know how much I love talking about spreading sunshine, especially when the world seems so cloudy right now. If you would like to learn more about Arthur and his books and publications, he's got a website called arthurbrooks.com and you can grab his new book called build the life you want the art and science of getting happier wherever books are sold thank you to all of my listeners if you have someone you think should make the dean's list let me know at janice dean on twitter or janice dean fnc on instagram or you can rate this podcast Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.